Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This episode is brought to you by Accenture Interactive. Greater experiences start with reimagined consumer experiences. Visit AccentureInteractive.com to see how we're combining creativity, strategy, and technology to make businesses healthier and consumers happier. That's AccentureInteractive.com. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture. It's in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm an editor with Adweek.com. With me as he is each week is Tim Nutt, our creative editor. Tim, welcome back. Thank you, David. And we've also got back frequent guest on the podcast, producer on the podcast, and senior editor on the brand marketing beat, Christina Monlos. Welcome back. Hello. Happy and Friday. Also happy to welcome back frequent guest and staff writer on the Digital Media Beat, Sammy Main. Hi, happy to be here. All right, we've got a lot to talk about because it is our end of the year 2017 wrap-up and round-up, and we've also got some hot news. So uh, we're going to jump on that, then we're going to talk about some of the best interesting creative ads you might have missed this year that didn't make our TV ad round-up last week. Uh, and uh, then we're just going to go through the trends in technology and culture and marketing that really define the year. And see what all we remember. It's been a long, long 2017. But first, the news. All right. Uh, our own Patrick Coffey, uh, senior editor on the Agency Beat for Adweek, uh, broke a pretty huge story this week in the agency world. The $4 billion U.S. Army advertising review has been irreparably compromised according to concerned employees in the Department of Defense. That is a direct quote from a memo they sent. It's a pretty fascinating story. I can't say I've ever heard of anything like this. Uh, basically, some employees who were concerned at the Department of Defense uh, felt that there was an inappropriate relationship between the incumbent agency, McCann, our agency of the year for the U.S., uh, who has had that account since 2005. And uh, basically, they, to vent their concerns, they sent a letter to the other advertising agency holding companies that are in this huge high stakes pitch to basically tell them hey you should you would have every right to be upset about this potential for a inappropriate relationship or for the for this agency to have more information than you might so the here's some of the details of what we know basically the 
DOD employees alleged that there was an inappropriate relationship between the director of marketing for what's called the Army Marketing and Research Group and an executive at McCann. And that has the potential to create an uneven playing field for the agencies that are in this review. If obviously, if they, the basically, if the client has a relationship with a personal relationship with someone at the agency, uh, there was some video of these two people together. Uh, we, you know, we are not identifying the uh, the executive uh, at the agency, uh, but uh, the the video has been reviewed by Adweek and it. Uh, seems to clearly show these two people kissing and dancing at a public venue. It was uh, videotaped and sent to uh, the you know several of the people involved, including these agencies. Uh, the Army marketing chief has been reassigned. Uh, the McCann executive had already resigned, according to the agency. Uh, she had left in October. And basically, the goal of these whistleblowers uh, has been to tell, again, to tell these holding companies, uh, well, here, I'll read a direct quote from their memo. They said, you are completely within your right to file a protest to this process and insist that the McCann proposal be removed from consideration based on the conf- on conflict of interest and unfair access to the U.S. Army that is not extended to the other bidders. Tim, I'm curious. I've never heard of anything like this. What, what did you make of this case? Well, it's a change of pace to have inappropriate but consensual behavior be uh, a problem. Um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, like completely crazy. This is an enormous account, obviously. It's it's something that all these agencies that are pitching uh, are spending a ton of money on. And, you know, to have this alleged relationship happening... Uh, I'd be I'd be super mad if I were you know any of the other agencies pitching this, and I think that there's you know there's more to this story. Uh, you know, I'm curious to see, you know, w- what happens to this review now. Is it going to be completely scrapped? I mean, the whole the whole review has taken way longer than they expected anyway. I believe it's gone many many months over what they expected it to do. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what can you say? It's uh, it could clearly. I mean, to me, it seems like it could give. It could have given McCann the advantage, and and I think they. I'd be surprised if they didn't uh, have to start over to some degree. Christina, do you think this? I mean, what do you think they should do? Just scrap everything, start over? Do you think there's any lasting damage to, uh, to McCann, to the army? I mean, or is this going? I mean, it's obviously specific to these two people. What what do you think the lingering impact is going to be? It's specific to these two people, but with almost anything, I never believe that like no one else knew or had any inkling of what was going on. So I think there is an issue with McCann, and I think there, I don't know. It's it's hard because this one is like taxpayer money, so the idea of them starting a review all over again, I don't like that. But I also, I feel like the whole review is tainted. So I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sad to see this all together. Like, it's just one of those things where no one takes pleasure in reporting this. Patrick was very uncomfortable, as we all are, with any of these stories. These are people with lives and, you know— to give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe they they did have you know a really good relationship, or you know what I mean. It's a, it's a hard thing to say that any of this was through. I don't think anyone's implying that this relationship came about as a way to get more information on the pitch. No. You know, it's like it's just one of those where 
It'll be interesting to see what comes out in terms of whether there is any lingering impact. Uh, You know, I think this turned from being a real uh, success for McCann of being able to stay in this pitch, which there was a lot of time where it looked like they wouldn't be able to, to that that was a success. And now that actually looks kind of bad because of this. But to your point, these are taxpayer dollars. So personally, I'd like to see if they're going to remove McCann, maybe just go ahead and remove him, but not have to start all over completely. Because yeah, that's that's money that taxpayers shouldn't necessarily have to be spending. Uh, no. But uh, you know, again, uh, definitely check out the story on Adweek.com. I feel like we have there's no been no update yet on whether McCann will be uh, pulled out or what they're doing with the pitch. I checked with Patrick right before we came in to record this. Uh, but definitely keep an eye on Adweek.com for more information about that. Uh, the other huge story, much bigger story in the big scheme of things is uh, Disney has announced its plans to acquire 21st Century Fox for $52.4 billion. Uh, and I'm sure by now you've probably heard about this. And if you're like me, you kind of glaze over at the the sheer scope of this thing. So I wanted to break it down into a few fun little tidbits that uh, I, I think are interesting to anybody, whether you're in the TV industry or not. Uh, Sammy, I'm definitely curious to get your take on some of these things. To me, one of the most interesting is that Disney is buying Fox's 30% stake in Hulu. So for those who don't know, Hulu has just one of the most confusing ownership structures on earth. It's owned by what, like, uh, it's been Disney, Fox, Comcast, and... Yeah, there's a lot of fingers in that pot. Yeah, (laughs) and so they will now own 60%. So they'll be the majority stakeholder in Hulu, Disney will. Um, and it's expected, according to Jason Lynch, our TV writer, it's expected that this will become the backbone for the streaming service that Disney had already uh, announced they would be launching in 2019. Uh, I don't know if we're ready to call that a potential uh, Netflix killer, but it's it's not going to be good news for them when you've got a lot of Netflix originals are Marvel properties. And sure. you know, um, so let's stop there for just a second and talk about uh, Hulu. What do you think this is going to mean for the the bigger streaming industry, Sammy? I mean, it's. I was kind of excited to hear that Disney was going to bring kind of its own streaming service because, well, not because of how we're paying monthly for everything else <laughs> for, you know, new entertainment services or our new phone plans. All of that is already on a monthly subscription. So doing that all over again <laughs> isn't always great. Um, but I think it's smart for them to, to have a one, you know, one-stop shop for all of their stuff. And it just means none of their new stuff, like, will be put onto, onto Netflix. So any any new stuff post-2019 will go directly to its own app. I feel like parents will probably be pretty stoked that Disney will have its own app. I don't know right now if, if this majority ownership in Hulu – um, will will do anything in particular for the industry at large. Like we were saying, there's a lot of people who own different parts of Hulu, and I think it's its own thing right now. So people will probably take you know issue with monopolizing it or having a majority stake in it. If that starts to change anything, people may try to fight that. But I think it, it makes a lot of sense for Disney to do this. And like you said, I cannot imagine what $52 billion looks like. So good for them. <laughs> I, I had to tell you guys the story. We went on it. My family went on a Disney cruise uh, last month. And one of the things I thought was most interesting from a nerdy kind of perspective like ours is that in the room, you could they had, had a streaming service. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it was all Disney, right, because they owned the boat. Um, and, man, you turn that thing on. It's like, hey, do you want every Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. every Marvel movie, every Disney movie ever, all of our TV shows, anything from ABC? You're just right. like – Netflix is in so much trouble when this becomes a thing that lives somewhere other than Disney cruise ships. 
I don't know how much Disney content Netflix really had, though. Like, I didn't go to Netflix to watch, you know, ABC shows or anything like that. I went to Hulu to catch up on ABC shows or that sort of thing. I feel like the the Marvel franchise may get sticky when it comes to Netflix originals and who owns what property. Like, that'll be weird decisions. But I don't see it as necessarily a Netflix killer. I think we're just getting used to we own a lot of apps to stream stuff on and this will just be another one. I don't think I would uh, – I don't think I'd go on a Fox cruise though. <laughs> Wait, can we can we also just touch on the fact that you probably don't know anything about Busy Phillips and <gasps> Busy Phillips went on a Disney cruise with her family and Busy Phillips has probably one of the best Instagram stories mm-hmm. uh, going on and she – Uh, a while ago earlier in the year was talking about how like she as an actress makes more money with brand deals oh yeah and so she like went on a Disney cruise with her family and was like, she created her own t- hashtag, which was like, I paid for this. Cause like it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't sponsored and it was the absolute best. And I really hope that catches on with celebrities so that there's like a clear. Not spawn, spawn, not yeah. spawn, spawn. <laughs> Just a fan. It. I paid for this. <laughs> Yeah, and wait, Busy Phillips is from uh, Freaks and Geeks, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You assume I know nothing. I knew I don't that know. one thing. Well, I, <laughs> she really, I mean, she is like, we, Town. She, she's been credited as like the person who made Instagram stories what it is. <laughs> like, yeah. For like, whatever reason, she figured it out pretty early on. Well, yeah. um, I think, you know, my point as a Netflix killer is less about stealing content from them, although there's some of that, but it's more about if you had to pick one, mm-hmm. I have to admit, like, my kids could have watched that streaming service in the Disney Cruise forever, sure. forever. And Netflix, they'll be like, eh, there's nothing really on here today. Sure, yeah. Um, so let's talk Marvel real quick. This does unite much of the Marvel uh, Marvel Universe together. Uh, it does not include Sony's Spider-Man, but Sp- Spider-Man's already back in the Avengers fold anyway with Homecoming and all that. Uh, but really, the Sp- Spider-Man's about it. You've got uh, now X-Men, Deadpool, Fantastic Four. These are the main characters that had still been licensed to Fox. Those are now owned by Disney. If this deal goes through, so you could see those characters popping up in the Avengers universe, and you could see 9 million more movies uh, coming out of that. So that's pretty fascinating. Uh, and then there's also, this is a under, under view, you know, under-discussed part of the story, is Fox has their TV studio, which creates shows on other networks. We, we've written entire articles about this with, like, This Is Us being a huge hit for NBC, but being made by Fox. Uh, so their their studio makes This Is Us, Modern Family, Empire, American Horror Story, Homeland. Uh, that's going to go to Disney. So that's a pretty huge source of revenue that is going to not spin off with some of these Fox properties. Uh, speaking of which, they are going to uh, break off the, the Fox TV empire will kind of remain uh, largely what it is. It, it will become a new Fox that's made up of the Fox uh, broadcast network that you think of that's always been Fox, and of course Fox News. Uh, you've got Fox Business, and then two of their core uh, sports networks, Fox Sports 1, Fox Sports 2, and the Big Ten Network as well. They own a bunch of regional sport, uh, sports networks. Those are going to go become part of ESPN probably, and so that's a huge boost for Disney. 
Um, but yeah, just a fascinating. Uh, say, uh, we have barely scratched the surface here in this discussion. It's funny when you got fifty-two billion dollars worth of uh, <laughs> products, but that's um, their job. They can handle that. <laughs> so, cannot recommend enough. Uh, not to sound like I'm plugging the site like crazy today, but definitely check out Adweek.com. Uh, AJ Katz and uh, Jason Lynch, our TV writers, have been just banging out lots of stories on this uh, and on our TV newser blog as well. Obviously, with the impact on Fox News, so uh, definitely check those out. That's all the news we're going to take time to talk about today, even though it's been busy. We haven't even talked about net neutrality, but <laughs> let's... Uh, I don't want to get sad. <laughs> so <laughs> let's... Uh, I have a feeling it'll come up in some of our year of discussion anyway. <laughs> so let's talk about this week's ads worth watching. All right, we're changing the pace a little bit because, as I said, this is our roundup of the year. And last year we talked about our favorite TV ads, video ads of the year. Uh, This week, Tim, I wanted to kind of have you walk us through some of your favorites. You did a gallery of 13 great outdoor ads, meaning billboards and all sorts of things that you find out in the street or wherever. And then you also did a roundup of seven great print ads. Uh, And so uh, let's start with the outdoor. What were some of your favorites? Well, actually, you know, last week we did talk about the 10 best ads of the year. And those there were some outdoor and print executions in there um yeah and so yeah, this is right. a little bit of overlap because uh fearless girl which was our number one out of the year overall was also on this list of outdoor as was the heinz campaign the past the heinz that um emerged out of the Mad Men, the defictionalized Mad Men campaign so those both made it um but we did include so we did run down a bunch of other outdoor work and you know uh, we love writing about outdoor because you know the the bad outdoor is really bad, but the the good outdoor is is consistently surprising and and really fun. So um, we've we spoke about this one recently, the Spotify uh, holiday ads. You know the 2018 goals. These these ads um, created in house at Spotify that kind of crunch user data. Um, I love that campaign. This is the second year that they've done it for the holidays, and they're just super fun. So we included that one. Uh, Also included the Delta dating wall, which we wrote about, I think it was the first half of the year. Um, That was a really cool execution. It was actually a partnership with Tinder uh, created by Wyden and Kennedy New York, where they basically took a wall in Brooklyn and they put, um, they painted photographs. Uh, Actually, I think they're screen printed photographs, but then uh, there was also a bunch of animation um, illustration around them. And the idea there was that people could go and get their photos taken in front of um, what looked like exotic locations to share uh, on their on their dating profiles. Uh, I thought that was really also a really neat kind of. It's one of the like rare executions of, you know, Tinder, online dating, Instagram. These are things that are part of your life now. So let's lean into that. It was like one of the rare ones where that doesn't feel gross or weird. It was just like, oh, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is terrible just go somewhere but also cool photo i like it yeah i love the way that that that, that the whole thing looked and just this the merging of like social and outdoor it's always such a nice thing when those two mediums kind of merge Um, because social media can be so um, removed from real life you know and when you actually bring it out into the real world uh you know these these apps like tinder um and Hinge is another one that we wrote about um, in this in this collection of outdoor ads. These are, you know, these are virtual apps that don't have a, you know, they don't really exist outside of 
your smartphone. And so when you, when you bring them out into the real world, it's, it gives, it's, it's kind of delightful. Yeah. I think with dating well too, I would point out that there was some controversy this year around the way that marketers leveraged or played off economic anxiety and like just how little money people have, especially millennials. And I saw some people pushing back on a lot of the campaigns that ran this year. And the dating wall to me is kind of a slightly more subtle version of that. Instead of just basically being like, you don't have any money and you're crippled by debt. They just kind of like made a, to your point, they found a way to do that and to subtly make that without, uh, you know, just straight up saying like, you can't afford to go anywhere. <laughs> Anything that references like millennials not having a financial future or avocados or millennials ruining something, I'm not paying attention anymore. And I feel like that's probably true for most millennials. So shut up about it is how I feel. That's fair. That's fair. Christina is done with 2017. <laughs> I mean, that's true. That's very true. <laughs> Anyway, um, the, the Hinge campaign, which was by Bart Neff Graff, was really fun too. You guys remember this this campaign with the long copy billboards that were also mm-hmm. um, site specific. You know, they kind of. I love about long it. copy. I love long copy and outdoor because it's like, who's actually going to read that? But we will. We do. I, I read it. Not drivers. That's my fear. Well, <laughs> in a place like New York, where people actually walk around, these, yes. these will get read. But yeah, Very don't put acceptable. these on a, on a roadside billboard. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the hinge stuff was really fun. Um, politics. You guys remember the Smirnoff billboard uh, that said "Made in America," but we'd we'd be happy to talk about our ties to Russia under oath. So yes. good. And it was a one-off execution. That's what I loved about it. It um, was, but it was done in many different formats, I think, and it it, it ran on quite in quite a lot of places, I believe. Yeah. Did I, it I talk- run in Russia? Probably not. No, it was very specific to New York. The uh, 72, 72 and Sunny was the agency on that one. Uh, it came out of their New York office, which is one that I think is growing, but you don't hear all that much about. I thought that was just a, a great example of kind of doing something quick and topical and smart and on brand uh, while still kind of poking the bear a little bit. But yeah, it was, it was a great one. I mean, politics was everywhere this year. And this was one of the few executions that kind of joked about politics. You know, there's so many serious, serious uh, campaigns about about how the world is going crazy particularly as regards to the trump administration but this was a sort of a lighthearted way to, to do that well great any any others you want to feature before we move on to uh to your uh, other let's see well print? netflix had some cool stuff you know they had the netflix as a joke billboards uh which i thought were kind of kind of cool but they also had uh donor la did this pretty neat campaign for narcos where they put sticker ads, uh, again, kind of site-specific. They went to, uh, I think, Miami and L.A., and, and, and they went to nightclubs, and they put stickers um, in the bathrooms where customers back in the 90s would have encountered plenty of uh, Cali cartel cocaine. So, that, you know, the stickers say things like, were you here in the 90s? Here's, there's an 80% chance that the powder came from, from the Cali cartel. So that was, you know, <laughs> I love the uh, site-specific um, you know, stuff there. And we should also talk about the cliffside shop. You guys remember yeah. this one where, yeah, totally. um, David, I think you wrote about this one initially. Um, it was this crazy pop-up shop on the side of a mountain in Colorado 
Uh, maybe you could uh, r- remind us exactly what that was about, David. Yeah, so basically the the client was 37.5 Technology, and they are the, if I remember right, they're the material science company behind like Carhartt and outdoor clothing brands that you would know. Mm-hmm. I don't remember all their clients, but like I thought that was fascinating. That was kind of like a B2B ad in a way. It's like this is a company that makes stuff for other companies. Uh, but they did this uh, this <laughs> little pop-up shop uh, it's like I forget the exact height, but crazy high up uh, a, a, sh- a sheer cliff called the Bastille. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just to get up there. I think something like two dozen people made it to the entire shop and you wow. get up there and it's this intense climbing. Then they give you a jacket and you say, like, thanks. And then uh, <laughs> but their whole point is <laughs> like, helicopter back down. I wouldn't want to go back down to, to me. Like the really fun thing about it is it just go, and we say this all the time. And I think some people don't believe us, but it doesn't matter how many people go to your activation. If the the case study, if the way that it's presented online is compelling yeah so you can do a stunt that only reaches one person 10 people but then reach a million people uh and this was a perfect example of that yeah it kind of reminded me of the dunkin donuts which put a a, a dunkin donuts location on the side of a, a on the side of a cliff at one point which was kind of amazing yeah but i love i mean the visuals were so great too and that's like half the battle when you do a, a stunt like this just get some great photos and you're sort of halfway home um, and then the final one, there's a bunch more on here, so you guys could uh, check out our story on adweek.com. But the, the other one I wanted to mention was this very strange campaign that happened in Cleveland where these billboards started going up in Cleveland back in the summer, I think it was, that just had uh, – they were like landscape pic- pictures, so either mountaintops or countryside. And then they had like f- just names of food on them. So one of them said pickles. One of them said butter. And then they just had a URL at the bottom, which turned out to be the URL of a creative agency called Twist uh, out in Cleveland. And the whole campaign was just kind of to start a conversation about what outdoor advertising is and how it affects people. So the people uh, who went to the URL on the boards, um, they they got to a page and it just said, what did you think of these ads? And like (laughs) so many people wrote about it and so many people were so excited by these ads, I think because they weren't selling anything and people were genuinely curious about what they were. But I mean, they got—I mean, they got thousands of of responses, of people visiting the site and just talking about how much they loved these really cryptic and strange billboards. And I thought, you know, almost more than any other campaign this year, this this one showed kind of how out of home when it's done well can really engage people. And you know, surely there was like you know, in this situation, there was uh, like the the mystery behind like what it was that, that obviously uh, resonated with people. But just in general, I think. Um, when you're going about your daily life and there's a billboard there and it's and, and so it fascinates you, I think that happens more more often than than people think sometimes. And this campaign sort of captured that. So let's talk print. Uh, we all work for a magazine, so we love to think that print is just a booming uh, medium. And you found uh, several really good examples of print advertising. Tell us about some of your favorites. Wait, we have to acknowledge that Nud's headline was "Print isn't dead!" Exclamation point. <laughs> and then you know some other stuff, but trying well, to get, it's, it's I'm like trying to get clicks move. here, guys. Yeah, it's like my uh, 13-year-old dog. Like every day is a victory, so you just have to be like, "Yay, <laughs> still, uh, still here!" Ouch. Every day is a victory if that's the case. I'm a 13-year-old dog, and every day is a victory. <laughs> 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 Um, well, the first campaign we have to talk about is the Burger King uh, Burning Stores campaign. This came out last spring, and 
they must be the craziest print ads of the year. You know, it showed actual news photos of Burger King restaurants on fire. We, we talked about this on the podcast when they came out. Uh, and it just said, you know, it was just a headline that said flame grilled since 1954. And the whole I mean, restaurant. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, now, I mean, I I feel like we have to acknowledge it's not. It, there is some factual question marks around this. The fact that that almost all of these surely burned due to things like bad wiring and grease fires or whatever. But like, uh, but uh, but still, yeah, no, it's, it's, I don't think they were meant to be literal. Like this is <laughs> this is from a flame or flame grilling that went wrong. But just you know the I don't know. I, I just thought yeah. these were when, when I first saw them. I was like, that's insane. Like those are not real. That that's a spec campaign. They're the kind of ads where you would be like, why didn't Burger King say no to this? They're yeah. so <laughs> next level. Look how flammable we are. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes us love them even more, I guess. Whenever, oh, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. It's like, cheeky. Whenever yeah. a brand is actually willing to take a risk and be weird... Well, nice. and, and I feel like it's so indicative of the relationship that Burger King has with David, uh, the agency that was our breakthrough agency of the year. And they are kind of famous for in the industry for just Burger King loves them and just cannot speak highly enough of them. And obviously it leads to projects like this. Well, it's funny, too, because when this campaign originally came out, Burger King, they put out these they sent these ads to us, but they wouldn't talk about them at first. And, and that's like, okay, so they're waiting to see what the reaction is. And if the reaction's good, then they'll talk about them. And sure enough, they did talk about them. Um, you know, Fer- Fernando Machado spoke with us about them at Cannes and on video about them. But that was months after. <laughs> months, months after I they mean, realized there wouldn't be a huge backlash. Yeah, maybe they were just like trying to be prepared for, all right, we're probably going to have to pull these. Yeah, but. absolutely. And I think, you know, to be fair, this was Patrick Coffey's point too, is that the, I don't think these ran probably outside like one magazine in Buenos Aires probably. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> let's none of us uh, overthink the, that aspect too much. Like yeah. every every great print campaign these days, they were like, did it run? Yes, it ran. And then period, end of sentence, because no one wants to get into the fact that it's usually just to get into award shows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What else? But um, that's dark. L.L. Bean did a cool ad this year where they, um, you know, they have a new tagline called Be an Outsider. And uh, agency up here in Maine, the VIA agency, actually uh, handles the account. So, you know, for the first time, Bean has finally called on the big agency in their in their home state to handle their advertising. And uh, yeah, VIA came up with this tagline, "Be an Outsider," and they they have a they had a pretty cool uh, newspaper ad uh, that kind of embodied that idea of being an outsider. So when you if you were indoors and you were looking at the ad, it looked like it was blank, and it just said, "Take this ad outside." And then when you took it outside, it would uh, it was it was made with some sort of uh, invisible ink or f- what they call photochromic ink, uh, which apparently is colorless indoors, but then um, turns different colors when it's exposed to sunlight. And so you take this ad outside, and the entire sort of brand manifesto um, showed up. So, you know, I thought that was a pretty neat idea of you know the the medium kind of embodying the message. Uh, Tim, can I confess something to you? Sure. I just now realized that be an outsider is being outsider. Oh, uh, that's because you haven't watched the TV uh. commercials where it says <laughs> yeah. in the in the TV commercials they do a little, you know, uh, kinetic text where they they have been and then they separate it into bn. No, yeah, I've not said that. Is I don't know if I love that or or. I know I love that. I, I do. <laughs> I mean, Tim is also like at an advantage. He is in Maine. Like, there's True. there's more of a connection with LLB in there. 
He's got bean in yeah. his blood. <laughs> well, my wife used to work on the bean account when she was in advertising, and uh, I, I understand that they're not necessarily the easiest client to work with. Uh, but it's nice to Whoa. see them. It's nice to see them embrace, you know, creativity like this. They're not exactly known for that. They're known for having very rigid brand guidelines, and I think they're loosening them up a bit. Uh, can we talk about Snowbird real quick before we, yeah, we round up? Do. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. So this was the One Star campaign. Uh, I think they've done more executions uh, since we first wrote about it. But it's Snowbird Ski Resort, and uh, they did uh, uh, these beautiful, like. Uh, I don't know what you call it, uh, just sweeping, gorgeous shots of their of their mountainsides, double-page spread, and then a one-star review talking about why the person did not like it. And it's always <laughs> because of reasons that other people will love. So the one that we originally featured was too advanced. <laughs> and it was Greg from Los Angeles saying that, you know, why not have uh, some more beginner-friendly runs and all this stuff. No, and he, so says, they, he says, I'd heard Snowbird is a tough mountain, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> The best part is the other day, I, I I don't know if it's the same one, but Greg A. Greg from Los Angeles responded to Snowbird on Twitter about asking if they were open for the season, and their CMO like retweeted it. it was like, Greg, it's one star Greg. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect nickname that's very good. So uh, they, have, they have built this out. I actually uh, just got a message yesterday from their, their CMO. He's, he's apparently sending me some stuff that they have done with this. They have T-shirts, and they have uh, all sorts. It is a fully integrated uh, campaign. And, and, you know, it's just super fun and you could keep doing this forever. And we've talked about the trend in the past of leaning into your critics and kind of highlighting <laughs> that, you know, yeah. it's the it's the classic, like, we're not for everybody uh, it, marketing angle, just done in such a modern way and yet done in print. Yeah, we heard from Snowbird this week. You know, that's the other nice thing about doing these roundups at the end of the year is you kind of hear from the, you get back in touch with some of these brands and, and you know, they're sort of jazzed to be included in these kind of best of um galleries so yeah i love that campaign as well all right well i could talk about these all day but we've got to save time for our our discussions of everything else that happened in 2017 so thank you tim for rounding those up definitely check out uh tim's roundup the the print isn't dead collection of great print ads and his collection of all the 13 brilliant outdoor ads to check out definitely look for those on adweek.com or just click the creativity section there and you can find all of tim's stuff but uh let's move on to looking back at 2017 so what I tried to do in preparation of this and talking to a few other staffers here is looking at the big trends that kind of shaped, obviously, culture, because marketing reflects culture, um, but uh, the, and how they really interwove with, you know, I'm not here to do a Google search year in review roundup of everything that happened on, on Earth, uh, but it's pretty clear that several of these trends had a huge impact on marketing, on pop culture, on technology. I want to talk, one, you know, one that was at the front of everyone's mind at the beginning of the year, which is politics uh, and kind of the increased activism, uh, the general uneasiness with a lot of uh, folks about the incoming president. Uh, we saw this as early as the inauguration. Expedia ran an ad uh, during the inauguration about acceptance and global awareness and basically kind of quietly snubbing their, their nose a little bit at, uh, at the president. Uh, but then it really became much more visible around the Super Bowl uh, when we had all sorts of marketers. I think a lot of us thought that the Super Bowl would maybe not be all that political, that people maybe would be willing to, let's see what this administration does. And, and nope, nope, that was not the case. So we had 84 Lumber, which did their kind of two-part uh, piece on uh, immigrant family and facing the wall and uh, ended with someone from 84 Lumber or supplied from 84 Lumber uh, cutting a door in the wall to let them in. So obviously that was 
both controversial and uh, super popular. I believe it crashed their website, right, Tim? It did, which was good for us because we got people to come over to our site and look at the ad. (laughs) Check it out. (laughs) I mean, Uh, come to us for all things. (laughs) Yes, for sure. Basically. Christina, the Budweiser immigrant story, the story of their founder, um, that one, you spent a lot of time on set uh, with the the folks making that ad. I've had a lot of people ask me since then, was that intended to be a political ad? And I really don't think it was. It wasn't. I, you know, I was just at Budweiser, um, you know, last week talking about this again. And um, no, it wasn't. But, you know, uh, they're not going to be annoyed about the conversation around the ad you know people people talking about it that works for them and questioning whether or not I mean I don't I don't think they ever I think they came out with some sort of statement about how it wasn't intended that way you're making me think about January yeah (laughs) so I'm like trying to remember um but one thing that they, you know, have repeatedly uh, said is like the social sentiment that came out of that ad was like basically the same sort of social sentiment that comes out of any Super Bowl ad they have. People either hate it or like it and they talk about it. And so like even though it seemed like there was a more conversation around this one, it was like pretty average and most of it was positive they said i feel like budweiser kind of stumbled into that to that idea like yeah you know when they probably when they were coming up with this idea you know months before like the idea of immigration is like an american story like budweiser is mm-hmm. not a brand that wants to stir up controversy you know they're just like oh immigration is really american let's talk about that and exactly. only you know only after trump's you know uh views on immigration i mean you know, it's it's not particularly immigration from Germany. It's not exactly the most controversial thing in the world. No. But yeah, but but people did see it. People, you know, that's the thing about politics these days. Everyone sees things through that that political frame, and uh, yeah, it 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 helped them get this ad talked about a lot. But for definitely for unintended reasons, I think. And, and I will say, just objectively, I think it's a great ad. Uh, I, yeah. I, you know, it's something I didn't know their origin story really, even though I used to live in Missouri, and like I probably should have. Um, but uh, you know, it was beautifully told. It, I was very proud that of all the spots we could have spent as much time as you spent, uh, you know, being there while it was being filmed and created. I think we picked the right one. Uh, yeah. I think so too. Um, I, you know, every once in a while will look at my ankles, which have uh, mosquito bite scars from being on that set. And I shake my fist and I go, was it really worth it? Because there are, I have multiple mosquito bite scars that I am mad about. Um, But, uh, you know, uh, it was, it was a really cool experience. And yeah, I think you're right. We, just as Budweiser lucked into that, we lucked into. <laughs> into yeah, being there. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, eighty-four lumbers was clearly more political because that's they were trying to reach those those folks, you know, immigrants. But eighty-four lumbers' message was like straight up muddled. Like they end up, they ended up coming out of that and trying to play both sides and sort of like like saying, you know, we're, we're trying to get more, what was it that they were saying? It was like, they, I remember it being like a, a they message were recruiting, for the right. Yeah. They were recruiting exactly. immigrant labor. Yeah. Well, and they're, yeah, they made the argument at the time that, uh, you know, Trump himself has said that there will be a big, beautiful door in this big, beautiful wall. And that's the image that they, that yeah. they conveyed. Yeah. They used but, his words. 
I, I think it's, it's to your point, it's much more direct than any of the other ads in terms of basically saying, like, if there's a wall, there, we, will cut a, we will literally cut a door in it. And it'll look great because you're using 84 lumber tools. <laughs> you know, it's a, um, but no, it was uh, an interesting play. I wouldn't say it's the most nuanced ad ever, but it, uh, it was interesting. And to Tim's point, like, like when we talked about it crashing their site, that's when you know you're doing something right because most people can't even get anyone to use their hashtag. Yeah. Uh, and two other brands that um, – that jumped into the fray that night were Coca-Cola, which ran an old ad of its, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, people from around the world, uh, you know, singing. And that was uh, several years old. They, they ran it before the game, if I remember right. Uh, but obviously they picked that for a very specific reason. And Airbnb, I believe, ran during the game uh, with a, a message, of course, as is kind of part of their brand of acceptance and LGBT and, and uh, diversity. Uh, so it was definitely much more of a trend. I think most of us, when people are looking for trends in the Super Bowl, if we can find two or three things, we call that a trend. And this one was one where it actually did have a very clear uh, clear trend to it. Uh, we have the travel ban. Uh, in terms of when brands really got serious about their involvement, I feel like the travel ban uh, involving Muslim nations uh, – was one where you really started to see CEOs, CMOs, like really kind of coming out, uh, Nike, Facebook, Etsy, Dropbox, like tons of companies came out. Lyft donated a million dollars to the ACLU. Google created a $4 million fund for immigrants' rights groups. Uh, you know, brands were finally starting to get a little more direct and not just talk about it. Uh, and then it really came to a head, I believe, in August with the uh, with the uh, Charlottesville v- racial violence uh, with white supremacists, uh, obviously killing a, a woman and driving a car into a crowd and everything around that incident. And uh, a lot of people, including a lot of executives, did not feel that the administration handled that very well, did not come out firmly enough against white supremacy. And uh, in that during that debate, as it became obvious that uh, the president wasn't going to kind of say what a lot of these folks wanted to hear, uh, they left his uh, advisory boards that he had created for business leaders, which is interesting that it took this long, that, you know, that they made it to August. But that's when the, so many of them were dropping off that Trump had to disband both of them. Uh, of course, he accepted no blame and did not exactly like, you know, just kind of said like, oh, I wasn't using those anyway. But uh, still, it was it was a telling moment to have so many uh, executives leaving. And then uh, and then we've seen this come up. Uh, Tim, let, let's talk a little bit about some of the creative where we've seen politics be uh, such a huge part this year. Well, you know, of course, the Droga 5 campaign for the New York Times. You know, New York Times, uh, a notorious uh, adversary of President Trump's. And that campaign was was pretty amazing. Or just look at recently what Patagonia did with, um, you know, your president, your, the president stole your land, you know, uh, with mm-hmm. about Trump's order around public lands. I mean, this is the this is the tone now. And it's it's uh, there was also I think it was Reebok that, that came out with an ad after. I believe it was when Trump remarked on the French president's wife and, and how you're, you're. Do you remember that he said you're in you're in? Such yeah, they made like a flowchart. Like yeah, a flow chart or Reebok did this sort of you know interesting ad on, on in social about that. I mean, you know these brands are coming out. It's it's they're 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 not feeling like they have to bite their tongue when it comes to that kind of stuff now. Uh, whether it's completely serious, you know, like the the Times ads about the value of journalism and the truth, and really hitting back at Trump and the, and the, the accusations of fake news on the one hand, or you've got something like uh, Reebok, you know, scolding Trump for his for his comments, or even Spotify, you know, in the 2018 goals campaign, talking about Spicer and, and Scaramucci, and you know, a lot of brands. I mean. It, Politics is just part of every, everyone's daily life now. I mean, it's so central all the time, and it's and it's it hasn't been that way. You know, during the Obama years, it wasn't like every day we were obsessed with politics. 
And so that is part of people's everyday life now. And these brands feel like to be, you know, to being part of a relevant conversation, they, they sometimes have to just forget about being afraid and just talk about it. Well, speaking of brands being, uh, you know, kind of centrally involved in a pretty heavy uh, topic like politics, we've also got, of course, sexual harassment. So the even before Harvey Weinstein and even before the well, the, like kind of before the movement of the Me Too movement really exploded into as large of a thing as it was, I asked our tech team kind of what were the biggest moments in tech this year because I was having a hard time thinking of them. There was the iPhone 10 launch and, you know, a few nothing not many huge tech moments. And the first thing that they said was uh, the memo that Susan Fowler wrote about her time at Uber in February, all the way back in February, which feels like nine years ago. And she wrote about her harassment, uh, her unfair treatment, uh, just kind of the horrible. I remember, it's funny how like there's been so many that I, it's not say I almost forgot about it, but it's thinking that far back. And what she's describing has now become a pretty commonplace set of uh, of you know, of allegations and of, of commentary. Uh, but she she really kind of put all of that out there in a public post, and it created a massive, uh, you know, conversation and, and a big issue for Uber. Uh, ended up leading to the ouster of their CEO uh, to 20 employees. By the last time I Googled it uh, to see how many ended up being, it was around 20 employees fired uh, for their involvement in that. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we saw this come up off and on throughout the year, but then October with the New York Times investigation to Harvey Weinstein uh, going public, and that's when everything just went absolutely uh, nuclear. Uh, and from then, we have just been in a different world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Christina, what's your, your – I mean, it feels like as, as dark and heavy as it's been. I mean, it's been great, too, like having so much of this finally come out in the daylight. I think it's I think it's really important to hear these stories and to recognize that even if you weren't aware of uh, different environments at your job or the way that your friends are or the way that you know even people you know f f across the board, I mean, there are different ways that people act in front of different people. And recognizing that is really important. Um, I don't know. I, I, I want to be positive about it. Like, I really do. I, I want to be. I want to be excited about it. And I am. Um, but it also, um, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> like, yeah. like, as I would put it, is like, I, I don't know. Um, there's a lot of stuff where if you had asked me five, six, seven years ago, if we were like regularly talking about trigger warnings, I don't think I would have had the mental capacity to really be like, oh man, that I understand what being triggered is. And like, um, maybe that I hope to our listeners that you can understand that there is a, a recognition of, of knowing what being triggered is and that I'm not just a, a stupid person. Um, but it's like, I, I recognize that now. Um, and there are pieces that I read like Salma Hayek's the other day and I just get really sad. <laughs> like it's what she created in, um, if you guys haven't read Selma Hayek had an op-ed talking about her experience with Harvey Weinstein in the New York times the other day. And, um, she was talking about the experience of creating Frida and being a uh, female artist and fighting for, fighting to tell the story of another female artist and, uh, you know, just 
just the stuff that was stacked against her and the the thing that she was able to create and I don't know you think about that and it's like I I think it's amazing that she was still able to create that piece of art but then you also read lines where she's talking about how she had to do a sex scene that she didn't want to do and that you know, maybe if you went back and looked at it now, it would be, you could see if it was unnecessary or see if it was like, you know, forced into the story. And so there's this, there's this also, also this um, reevaluating of culture and being able to see it through a lens of like, oh, this was for one per one person. Like this was for one person's eyeballs. I don't know. I'm rambling. Someone no. else talk. <laughs> it, it is. It is. You know, it's interesting um, because I had the same the same response. Like reading that piece, and it is a, it is a gut punch of a piece over and over. Um, but when she describes kind of the creation of this thing, which is such an artistic masterpiece, and what she had to sacrifice to do that is a price that no one should ever have to pay. Uh, and and yeah, I think you're right that we are seeing more and more as the curtain gets pulled back behind. Uh, of course, with Weinstein, how movies were made, how careers were built, and the again the prices that people had to pay, uh, it, it's insane. The you know on the brand side, it hasn't necessarily been quite as big of the issue in, in the agency world. Uh, in terms of, I mean, like coming out uh, a lot of these big stories, uh, but in the uh, tech world and in the agency world, I think it's certainly become much more of a, a discussion in the months since the Weinstein uh, you know revelations came to light. Um, but, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think the biggest fear that a lot of folks have is that when you have these, like, remember nine, ten months ago when everyone was talking about brand safety and brands were saying we're not going to be on uh, YouTube or we're not going to be on this and we're going to pull off of all these things because we can't control the content that our ads appear around. And then those conversations sometimes flare up and get really big and then go away. And that's a very different thing but uh, in terms of a topic. But at the same time, you kind of hope – some of these will remain ongoing conversations and not, oh, yeah, remember when we all got really fired up about sexual harassment and then it just went quiet, you know, afterward. And, and I mean, the yeah. other thing is, too, that, you know, harassment is not a topic outside of PSAs that advertising itself really addresses. But advertising, of course, does address gender equality as a broader issue. And so it's interesting that the most celebrated advertisement this year, you know, Fearless Girl, came at the same time as as all this uh, upheaval, you know, in terms of these stories about harassment. Yeah. I don't really want to see, I, I just don't want to see an ad version of like, here's what happens. Uh, Definitely. I, I've, no, it's I've not seen, something, it's not something that, no. that's very easy to do or should be done probably. But like I saw something going around the other day um, about like a short film that was made about what it was like to like possibly um, what it's like to audition for Weinstein. And I don't know if I want to watch that. I yeah. think those, again, I think like all stories are important and I want, like maybe I will want to see that at some point, but I don't want to see an advertising take on that. At the very least, I know that right now. I don't know. Maybe Sammy disagrees. Oh, no. I mean, the conversation I've been having with people is like, oh, you mean presenting our traumas constantly is not well for our brains? What do you mean? So it's been a really tough, I mean, 
life, but in particular <laughs> the last few months of of having you know so many people relive their their worst moments, their their lowest lows, in order for society to learn from them. And so I think it's really important that people feel they should share and can share now, but for so long society was built on them being silent and letting men do what they want, that I, I hope the tone will shift and that people don't need to be worried about how to interact with their coworkers, but they should worry about their own personalities and if they're terrible people and then it won't be so much of a problem. I think there's a lot that every every industry can learn from this and really it's it's a moment of, you know, taking no crap from anybody anymore and that's it's um no longer going to be allowed. And I think that's that's hopefully something that like you were saying won't just flare up and go away. I think it's a bloodletting and I think it's a constant source of anxiety. This last year has taught me I definitely get stress-induced IBS, and that's a real problem that's going to affect many people now. So it, it's not fun, but it's totally necessary, and, and I do hope it teaches lessons across a, a lot of companies and industries into what they've allowed and how that's no longer going to be the case. Well, what I'm hoping more than anything is that like in in this moment, what we have learned is that if someone is making you uncomfortable and you feel as though it's on you not to say something mm-hmm. in that moment and you're frozen and you're uncomfortable and like that, I think the natural reaction is to be frozen. And mm-hmm. I totally understand that because I've felt frozen before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would hope that, that the, the thing that might change somehow is that people are comfortable to be like, no, <laughs> Yeah. Stop it. This Saying is not something. okay. I mean, one of the words of the day was complicit. Like everyone allowed it to happen. Everyone, you know, even if it was on themselves and they felt like they couldn't or they saw something yeah. happen and they felt like they couldn't say something. So it's definitely a moment of um, seeing these voices heard. Mm, that doesn't make sense grammatically. But seeing these voices <laughs> heard can can hopefully inspire people to to also promote change in other ways. Well, and I think back to, and honestly, it's sad that I can't even remember which Saatchi executive it was that uh, either got Kevin fired or in trouble. Kevin Roberts. Well, no, that's a, I'm trying to remember if it was him who said this, but it was someone who said, I think I think sexism is over. I think, we're I think past, it was Kevin yeah. Roberts. So, yeah, and, Kevin Roberts. Yeah, and just that, that setting aside even like the, the specific things he said in that interview that ended up get, leading to him getting kicked out, it's like that idea even if he had said it more diplomatically that idea that we live in a post-sexism society and everyone just looked at him and you could tell he earnestly believes that that like oh i'm sure he does the idea that we live in a post-anything society has been (laughs) proven wrong over the last decade yeah so maybe like post-landline society where maybe they're okay (laughs) we still have landline phones in our office it's true i Uh, love landlines I love them. I have no need for them anymore. Speaking of landlines, <laughs> let's talk about hot tech in 2017. Uh, look, <laughs> Excellent look, segue. Yeah. I wanted, to look back. I wanted to, uh, I, again, I went to our tech team and I was just like, what What came out this year? Like, what, <laughs> what really happened this year? Um, and basically, we all agreed that this was the year that a lot of technology really... Um, kind of came into its own in the sense of the ability of the technology, like the backbone of this stuff to work. So voice activation, AR, uh, you know, like the AR potential of the iPhone 10 is huge, but 
when will people actually use it enough that we're actually talking about it day to day? Uh, I got some Christmas wrapping paper uh, that uh, I think from Moxie, the agency that has T-Pain on it. And you can use their AR app and he will wrap from the wrapping paper. <laughs> no, I don't like this. I Too it. much. <laughs> No one, it's to your point, all of this fun, fancy tech is in no one's household. And also, I can't explain it to my mother yet, which means it is not ubiquitous enough for us to worry about. <laughs> that's my measurement. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's gimmicky. So, yeah. So, like, voice AR, blockchain, chatbots, like, all this stuff, it's out there, and the technology has caught up. Like, it's all now VR. I mean, everything is possible. It's just we don't have the content. You know, a lot of people said this with, like, Pokemon Go, that it was the first time that proof of concept that AR could do anything, even though sure. it was pretty pretty light in terms of how they really use the tech. Uh, but so I think a lot of people are predicting that 2019 will be the year that we have more of those moments The where, you know— Did you just say 2019— 28. Oh my gosh, yeah. I felt, I wanted to like <laughs> skip an entire year. Um, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. We'll be closer to 2020 that way. Let's yeah. just like sleep off 28. <laughs> <laughs> We've earned it. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, if you had asked me a year ago, I would have said that I thought tech would really have a lot of the bigger uh, kind of you know, talking points and obviously going back through it. It's like there was a lot that happened with tech. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, like I said, we kind of glanced over the brand safety thing, but for a while there, that was like all anybody wanted to talk yeah. about. But then we found other plenty of other things to talk about. <laughs> um, Tim, tell us a, a few of the creative trends. You always do a good job of keeping an eye on these. Uh, what, what are some of the bigger picture uh, trends you, you noticed? Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing I noticed this year, I thought it was a pretty weak year for film or maybe in advertising, or maybe we're just getting tired of the the kind of ways that film has been manipulating us in advertising. You know, I think we're kind of over the earnest kind of tearjerkers and all that kind of stuff that was so popular two or three years ago. Um, you know, we do our best ads of the year list every year. And, you know, from 2011 to 2016, the number one uh, uh, ad was always a film. And there wasn't a film among the top four this year, you know, on our, on our story last week, we had uh you know, of course, Fearless Girl statue. There was the song, Logic song, um, whose name referenced the uh, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You had the you know the multimedia campaign uh, around the digital app with with Instagram. The stories are everywhere, and we had this amazing live event slash product introduction with Nike's Breaking Two. You know, so all four of those, none of them are films. You know, all of them are campaigns that are kind of embedding themselves in culture, you know, and I think that was a bigger thing. Like, you know, I think it's, it's really starting to mature this idea of, you know, you don't just talk to people in, in a, in a video, you kind of do something that, that, that interacts with their life somehow. And I think a lot of those campaigns really did that. And uh, I think, you know, maybe another creative trend that I would, that I would point to is kind of the, the quicker pace of, of creative generation. You know, ad agencies are, are making more and more content. They're being called on to make more and more content. So they're having to do it quicker and quicker. And I think they're kind of allowing themselves a little bit of leeway to kind of make mistakes and to do things, you know, maybe, maybe show the brand flaws a little bit. Um, you know, I think we, I've posted a few stories in the last couple of weeks, um, like about Wendy's Twitter and even like the Steakums Twitter, which is a whole barrel of fun if you if you jump in there. <laughs> How I mean, did we not are... predict that trend going into <laughs> going into twenty seventeen? And I know Twitter, you know, I know Twitter is not a not a great gauge of creative trends because it's most of it's kind of crappy. But like when you do build a voice, you know, like like Wendy's has done or even like Steakum is doing, you know, you can create content very very quickly and repeatedly, and you can kind of 
you know, you can have those those day to day or hour by hour connections with consumers that, that that don't have to go through all these layers of approval. You know, I think I mentioned the stories are everywhere campaign for Instagram. I think that's a great example too of like that same idea, but in the in the generation of a of a, of a real ad campaign. You know, the the Widening Kennedy creatives there they they use the sto- the Instagram Stories app to create all these you know videos and and even like the out of home stuff. And I just love like the freewheeling nature of that. Like not everything has to be like crafted to within an inch of its life. Like you can just kind of go along and, and create content almost like consumers create content. And, and, and I think, you know, it's something that, that becomes, you know, it makes your ads more relatable. Uh, and there's even examples of this too in, in some of the uh, kind of big, you know, big high concept ad campaigns of the year, like like the diesel campaign was all about flaws, and the IKEA campaign in Sweden is all about you know people who have difficult lives, not perfect lives. So I think there's a there's a real f- effort by brands to kind of get past being perfect and kind of trying to roll with it more in the moment. And I think that's a, a very interesting trend. I think that's going to continue next year as well. Great. Well, uh, definitely uh, keep an eye on adweek.com. I think we've got several more uh, roundups of some of the trends and uh, some of the most interesting work we saw. We've also got, we didn't even get into TV. We've got our list of the top TV. Top TV shows of the year, the most disappointing TV shows of the year. Uh, so if you haven't caught up on the site in a while, it's a good time to go, and there's lots there. We want to hear about your uh, trends and and memorable moments from 2017, uh, right? That's the one we're ending? That's the one for yeah, now. Okay. Uh, send it to podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. Uh, our theme music is by Home. This episode was produced by Christina Monlos. Thank you, Christina. Uh, please take a moment, if you haven't already, to review our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and now Spotify. We're on Spotify, everybody. Wahoo. It's great. Love it's that. a great way to end 2017, um, which is this is our last episode of 2017. Yes. Thank you for reminding me. This uh, We are going to take uh, the next two episodes would come out on like Christmas and then on New Year's, I think. So we're going to Ew. we're going to skip those. And Yay. We will- <laughs> We will be back with you uh, in January. So have a safe and happy holiday, and we will talk to you in 2018. This episode was brought to you by Accenture Interactive. Accenture Interactive is hyper-focused on offering new connected experiences that flex to accommodate individual needs. See how we're creating greater experiences now at AccentureInteractive.com. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.